You're listening to the Sunday Messages podcast brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. As Taylor said, my name is Joel Hernandez. I serve as the worship pastor here. I have to admit, it's a little weird for me to be in this spot that I'm in right now. I'm used to being comfortable right here about, well, actually right about here. Um, But today I'm here and I'm so excited. This uh, summer we've been in a series called The Stories of Jesus where we explore these deep truths that we're able to apply to our lives through simple stories that Jesus told, also called Parables, And so today we have another good parable to go through, and that's going to be found in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. It'll be up on the screens, or if you want, you can turn there with me as well. To start this morning, I just want to kind of read through the passage in its entirety. We'll pray together, and then we'll go from there. So Matthew 18, 21 through 35 says this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your hearts. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this passage of scripture that we have today. God, my prayer is that it would pierce our hearts, that it would um, inform us what we should do and how we should act to look more like you, Jesus. And so um, be with me in this time, um, be with my words, and let um, let the truth come out. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right. Well, as you can see from the the passage of Scripture, we're going to be tackling the topic of forgiveness today. Now, forgiveness is a foundational building block in our Christian faith, both in our relationship with Jesus and in all of the relationships that we have around us. The truth is we have all kinds of relationships, right? We have spouses, parents, grandparents, kids, friends, co-workers, employees, bosses, all kinds of relationships. And so what that means is that there's lots of opportunities for us to either offend someone or be offended. Lots and lots and lots of opportunities for that to happen. And 
in all of those offenses, there are things that are probably on the smaller end of things, like the insignificant things, all the way up to the big, big things that really cut deep where trust is broken, and we have to work through those things. I want to start by sharing a story uh, from me and my wife's a marriage to kind of be on this easier side of things, the smaller things, to, to cut the, the tension this morning with this. So we are seven years into marriage now, but we... In our first year of marriage, I will put this out there. I'm not happy to put this out there, but I will. I am, I have certain baby tendencies because I'm the baby of my family. It's funny, our, in our staff meetings sometimes, we will talk about, you know, who's the oldest, who's the youngest. And for whatever reason, so many members of our staff, they're all the oldest sibling. And I'm one of the only ones that the youngest. And so they'll give me a hard time about that sometimes. But I have certain baby tendencies because I'm the youngest in my family. Now, one of those tendencies is when I'm sick, y'all. I milk it for all it's worth. I'm overly dramatic, you know, please do this for me, all that kind of stuff. So my mom had me very, very spoiled. And so sometimes it would be just like chicken noodle soup and, you know, that would help me. But then sometimes she would make my favorite soup, which is this chicken soup that she makes homemade. And it has all these amazing, delicious vegetables, all the things. It's my favorite soup. She makes rice with it on the side, all, all that stuff. Okay. Well, so year one in marriage, me and Mallory, my wife's sitting right over there. Uh, I get sick, and of course, I'm in bed, I'm moping, I'm all the things, and she's being such a loving wife to me, and so she texts my mom, and she's like getting all the ingredients, the recipe, all the things. She goes to the store, she grabs all the things, she comes home, she starts the process. The problem was, is that she had made plans to be out with some friends that night, and so... She starts the process, puts the chicken in the chicken broth to boil, and she wakes, gently wakes me up from me sleeping, and she says, hey, I've cut everything up. Everything's ready to go. All you have to do, I'm setting some alarms on your phone. All you have to do is wake up, put all the stuff in, and in about 15, 20 minutes, everything will be ready. Well, as you can probably see, that's, that's a problem, because I'm dramatic. I'm in the bed. She claims she sets these alarms. I don't know if she actually did, or she probably did, and I was muting them, snoozing them, whatever. And what ended up being my alarm was the apartment completely filled with smoke. All of the chicken broth had boiled out of the pot, and I wake up to the alarms going off, smoke everywhere. I am so frustrated. So Mallory gets home. And immediately she can tell something, something's off, what's wrong with him? And there's probably still smoke remnants, so she probably saw that too. Um, and she's asking, like, what happened? Is everything okay? And for whatever reason, for like five minutes, I don't know why, but all that I could utter was, chicken's burnt. Hey, what happened? Chicken's burnt. Babe, chicken is burnt. Like, that's all I can get out for whatever reason, because I was just frustrated. That is a silly, insignificant story, but it was actually one of our first fights in our marriage. So it laid some foundation and groundwork for how we were going to continue to do forgiveness in our relationship. So me being husband of the year, I think I said something like, what made you think that that was a good idea to do that? Ooh, yeah, right? <laughs> Bad move, Joel. What are you doing? And so... 
my loving wife. Uh, we talked through it. She forgave me, extended that forgiveness. And that really was, I mean, it's silly. We're talking about burnt chicken here. But it's something that laid foundation for us as we moved forward. Now, the reality for all of us here is that we have the small and significant things in our life, right? But we also have the things that are bigger, that cut deep, that come directly to our heart where we had trust with someone. Someone broke that trust. And now what are we left to do? Again, going back to, to our relationship, that in our seven years of marriage now, right, that was year one, there have been a lot more significant things that have happened where we had to extend forgiveness to one another than some burnt chicken, right? So what do we do from there? What do we do with all these offenses that have happened? Well, we know the answer. Jesus tells us, we just read it in the passage, we're to forgive, right? We know that that is the right answer. The problem is that we start assigning our own definition of what forgiveness should look like. Yes, I know Jesus calls me to forgive, but my forgiveness is going to look like this. It could look something like, I forgive that person, but I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to hear their name uttered in my presence, but I forgive them. Mm, I don't know about that one. It could also look like, actually, I do want to see that person and I want them to know and I want everyone else around us to know that that person offended me. And so I'm going to let it be known and everyone's going to know, but I forgive them. Mm, I don't know. Then there are the other cases where things that are very significant, hard things that have happened, and you say, I want to forgive this person. I really, really do. But Joel, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what they did to me. I don't know that I can get there. I don't know that I can extend forgiveness. And yet in our life, Jesus calls us as believers to extend forgiveness. How do we reconcile those things? Really quickly, I want to talk a little bit about what forgiveness is. Just give a quick definition. We're going to jump into more of what that looks like practically later. Um, but the quick definition is forgiveness is the act of pardoning an offender or to let go of something. Right? Someone has done something to you. And instead of choosing to get justice or get even or, or take revenge yourself, you're saying, I'm going to pardon them. I'm going to let go of that and let God handle it. Now, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit more about forgiveness here in a few minutes, but I also want to touch a little bit on what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing people's actions. By forgiving someone, you're not saying that what they did to you was okay. You're not validating what they did. But yet our job is to forgive and trust that God's going to take care of the rest. In Romans 12, 19, it says this, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, that's up to God to handle. It doesn't say Joel can take revenge and he will be able to pay back everything that's done to him. No, that's not what the scripture says. It says that God is going to handle that. So forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is also not forgetting. We hear that so many times, right? Forgive and forget, move on. You don't have to think about it anymore. But I think there's actually some wisdom in remembering what happened because sometimes actions have consequences. There are things that happen to each one of us where trust was given, trust was broken, and it's probably not wise to give trust back. 
And so some boundaries need to, to be put in place there. And I love that God gives us his godly wisdom and he surrounds us with people in order to, to, be help, to, to help us put up those appropriate boundaries. So forgiveness is not excusing. It's not forgetting. It's also not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling. I don't know about you, but there have been very few instances in my life where I needed to forgive someone and just felt absolutely pumped and amazing about doing that, right? Someone offended me. Oh, yes, it's time to go run to their house, open the knock on their door, bust in and be like, I forgive you, right? That, that's not how that works a lot of time. If we're in position of needing to forgive, that typically means that we were sinned against, we were wronged in some way, that we were hurt in some way. And so in our flesh, it's hard to hold hurt in one hand and pardon in the other. Sometimes we just flat out don't feel like the other person deserves to be forgiven. And yet we're called to and commanded to forgive. Forgiveness is a choice that we have to make. And sometimes it's a continual choice that we have to make daily. So now, what encourages us and empowers us to forgive? We're going to turn back to, to the passage here and kind of talk through what that could look like in our lives, starting with verse 21 and 22. It says again, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So it's important to note that at that time, the rabbis were teaching that you could forgive up to three times. And then on the fourth time, you can kind of do whatever you want, right? Whatever. I don't really understand it. That's what they were teaching from the Old Testament. That's what it said in Amos, to forgive three times and not fourth. Kind of like a three strikes, you're out situation. So up to three and then you're good. And so Peter, being the kind of cheeky guy that he is, he's coming up to Jesus kind of being super spiritual saying, I know it's three, Jesus, but do we forgive up to seven times? And uh, Jesus uh, gives him the truth. He says, not seven times but 77 times. Now, scholars, some say that it's the actual number 77, and others say that it's 70 times seven, but the call to action is the same. We're called to unlimited forgiveness because what that looks like is there's no way, like all the relationships that I described earlier, right? There's no way that we can keep track of all of these different offenses that one would have with this person, that person, that person. Okay, over here, I'm up to about 15 offenses, so I still got lots of room to go. Over here, I'm in the 60s-ish, so they're getting close. Over there, I'm up to the 70s, so I can almost not have to forgive them there. And so we're just keeping this list, right? Wrong. <laughs> That's not how forgiveness works. Jesus says that we're called to forgive and forgive, and forgive, and forgive. Let's continue on. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Hmm. So we have this servant who owes this king a huge amount of money. And I'm talking a huge amount of money. Just one of these bags of coins is worth 20 years of a day laborer's wages. 
So this guy was going to pay that back. He'd still be out in the field right now working, and he would be out there until the spry age of 200,000, because that's how long it was going to take for him to pay back this massive debt that he owed. Point being, there's no possible way he could pay back this debt. And so, spoiler alert, but we know that the king in this story represents God and that the servants represent you and me. So let's flip this for a second and look at it through the lens of our life. Scripture teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, you and I have a massive debt that we could never pay back in our own strength. I think that sometimes... We think, you know, my sin, it's, it's not so bad. I'm, I'm a good person. I check all the boxes. I'm at church. I'm at community group. I do my daily devotional. So I'm good. I'm not that bad of a person. Compared to this, this servant here, my debt isn't in the billions of dollars. My debt's just maybe $1,000 or whatever. But the reality is, is that we all have a massive amount of debt. Because we are dealing with a just God, a God who is good, a God that needs there to be penalty for sin that we all commit. The truth is that God sees every injustice, every wicked thought of ours, every action, every intention of our heart. So if we sit here and we're honest with ourselves, truly honest, we can recognize, wow, I do have a massive debt, just like this servant. But God, being rich in mercy, demonstrates his love for us by sending his son to stand in our place, take the wrath and punishment that you and I deserve. And because of this, we could get to receive his amazing forgiveness. And it's out of that forgiveness that encourages us to pardon and forgive those around us that do injustices towards us. Not only can we forgive, but if we call ourselves believer, we actually have a duty to forgive. Let's read why here in the last part of of the parable. But when the servant went out, this is verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Sounds familiar. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sister from your heart. So the first servant had thousands or not thousands, millions upon millions of dollars of debt forgiven. Yet when he was owed an amount significantly smaller, he couldn't give the same mercy that he received. He demanded payment. He threw that servant in prison until it was paid. And his punishment for that is to be handed over to the jailer to be tortured. You see, we've received the biggest pardon, the forgiveness of all of our sins. We don't deserve it. We can't do anything to earn it. But God still chooses to forgive. 
This should spur us on to forgive those that sin against us in our lives as hard as that is sometimes. The truth is an unforgiving heart reveals an unforgiven heart. An unforgiven an unforgiving heart reveals an unforgiven heart. If we refuse to forgive, have we truly experienced God's forgiveness? Harboring unforgiveness leads to bitterness, hate, stress, and ultimately to destruction in our lives. And I can say from experience in relationships that I've had where I've harbored unforgiveness, and it really does lead to destruction. And it wasn't until for me that I was able to release that unforgiveness and receive truly God's forgiveness that I was able to release that and forgive. I think that unforgiveness is kind of similar to what this servant is going through. He's being tormented by the fact that he chose not to forgive. And that's really what unforgiveness is like. I can't remember the quote, or I can't remember who gave the quote, but it's something like unforgiveness is like eating poison and then expecting the other person to to have harm come to them. We eat poison and we expect harm to come to them, but that's what unforgiveness is like because we're just hurting ourselves. And so I want to come back real quick to something that I talked about early, and that was, but Joel, you just, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what I went through. It was so significant. It was so hurtful. I would say to you that God wants you to release that unforgiveness in your heart because you're hurting yourself. God has freedom for for you. So practically, what does it look like to, to forgive? I Googled lots of different articles. What does forgiveness look like? All the different steps. And there were lots of different things of 100 different articles that you could look. But I pulled four things that have been true in my life and that I hope encourage you as well today. What it looks like to forgive. The first thing is to acknowledge the offense. In Psalm 56, 8, it says this, record my misery, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? I know that seems like a weird verse to put up there, but what's happening here is David is acknowledging that he's been wrong in his conversation with God. He's praying and lamenting and talking to God. And so for us, it's so important that we acknowledge the hurts, acknowledge the offense with God. And I also think it's important to do that when we're surrounded by this amazing uh, group of believers around us. God's given us that community in order to be able to work through a lot of these things. The second thing is to remember God's forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Daniel 9.9 says, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. When we're looking to forgive someone, we have to look back at what the forgiveness that we have all been given through Jesus. And then we can look at it through the lens to forgive others. The third thing is to release that hurt. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Release that hurt to him. He can take it, and we're not meant to carry it. 
The last thing is to pray for the person who hurt you. Matthew 5.44 says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I can tell you nothing will change your heart more than to start praying for those people that have hurt you or wronged you. And we all know prayer really is so effective and works. And so pray for those people who hurt us. And so those four points, again, if you want to throw those on the screen, acknowledge the offense, remember God's forgiveness, release the hurt, and pray for the people who hurt you. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come back up. And I want to close this morning with asking this question. Is there someone that you are holding unforgiveness for in your heart? I think if we're honest with ourselves, there are probably, or there is probably someone that was coming to mind even midway through my sermon of, man, I've been holding on to that for a long time. Or I've been holding on to that for this week or however long it's been. God is calling us to forgive. Because we have been forgiven of this massive amount of debt, of debt, we can forgive. We can extend forgiveness to others. And so to close today, I want to just, I'm going to ask that you close your eyes, bow your heads, and just do some business with God this morning. God, you see our hearts. You know us better than we even know ourselves. God, my prayer this morning is that you would guide us in the steps to take. God, let us not wait for this emotional feeling of forgiveness, but let us choose to forgive as you've chosen to forgive each one of us. God, we thank you that you choose to forgive, that you remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. Let us live in light of that truth. Let us extend forgiveness to others. Even when it seems backwards, it seems like this isn't what we should do, God. Your kingdom is backwards. It's upside down. Guide our hearts and our minds this morning as we just continue to press in with you, God. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the messages weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.